Hey, good morning, my friends. Welcome to our new series, Crazy Love, the story of Hosea. I love the book of Hosea. It has it continues to profoundly impact my journey with the Lord, and I am so looking forward to what God's going to do in all of you uh, through six weeks in this book. Hey, before I dive into it, though, it, it is Volunteer Appreciation Weekend, and I just wanted to pass on my appreciation. Let me say it simply. The volunteers at the Compass Church inspire me. I'm, I'm thinking of all of you at Bolingbrook, everybody at 95th, Wheaton, Hobson. I mean, blow me away. I see people at all four of our campuses rolling up their sleeves saying, hey, uh, God's using this place, and I want to be a part of the win. I see people giving week after week of their hours, of their blood, sweat, and tears, and finding a team to get on and serving Jesus in this way. And you just got to know, uh, you inspire me, and I am so immensely grateful. Can I just convey God's heart of gratitude to all of the volunteers in our church? So Thank you. That said, let's transition now into our new series. And I want to start by uh, just kind of telling you about a package, uh, a series of packages that my father-in-law got when he was a young man. Actually, here's a photo of my in-laws. My father-in-law, Harold, uh, after graduating from high school, he joined the Air Force and he was stationed up in Alaska where he served our country for four years. And when he was up in Alaska, he would frequently get these packages from my mother-in-law, Mary, six years his junior, all right? Uh, He'd say, oh, I know this package, and he'd get excited when he saw one. He'd tear into it, and always at the top, on the inside of the package, but towards the top, was a letter. And, And Mary would say, I write on behalf of our church youth group. So it wasn't technically from her, you know. She was writing on behalf of the whole church youth group. I don't even know if Harold ever read any of the letters. He was interested in what lie below them because the box was always filled with chocolate chip cookies. And I can tell you, my mother-in-law makes the best chocolate chip cookies in the world. And so Harold would dive into those cookies, enjoy them greatly, and just wait for another box to come. Oddly enough, I don't even think he really knew who Mary was. I mean, she was this, I think I can recall her face kind of person, but what I really appreciate is the cookies she sends. And To him, she was simply the letter writer and the cookie maker until he got back from the from the Air Force and moved back to Chicago and started attending the church again, and little Mary had grown up. And he's like, wow, you're the cookie maker letter writer gal. Would you like to go on a date? And she did. Uh, She went on a date with him, and they had a wonderful date, ended up sitting in front of her house after the date in the car, talking for two hours. And in this car confiding, Harold was absolutely shocked to discover that Mary had been wildly in love with him since the day she was a mere child. That every cookie she had made was infused with an affection that he would have never have guessed. Every word that she had written was dripping with her deep love for this man. Now, 
Thankfully, upon this shocking discovery of her long burning affection, he quickly felt the same about her, and the two were married and produced the finest daughter ever produced. And so I am <laughs> greatly blessed by that. But I believe this little uh, tale really helps us understand our relationship with God. And I'll confess that for a long time, I viewed God as the cookie maker letter writer. When I say cookie maker, I, I mean, I knew that God was out there somewhere. I knew that I didn't really know him per se, but I believed he was real. I believed that I received benefit, blessings, cookies from God. That there were good things in my life that came from him. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. I think this comes from God. I had some gratitude. But then the letter writer, you know, the Bible is letters written by God. I would have thought not really a personal letter, kind of like, you know, I write on behalf of the youth group didn't sound very personal, but a letter nonetheless. And I just kind of held God for a long time at a distance, viewing him as that vague, really unknown cookie maker letter writer. And then to my absolute shock, and this is the message of the book of Hosea. It was a shock to the people in Hosea's day as well. The the fact or the passion of God's heart is revealed through this great book. And to our amazement, maybe you'll be surprised, God burns and has since the day you were born with an affection for you, a love for you, that is scandalous, that is shocking, that is beyond what we'd ever have hoped or dreamed for. He is much more than a cookie maker and letter writer. He is a lover, longing for a devoted, joy-bringing, committed relationship with you. And that's the shocking message of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet. He lived back in the days of the final days of Israel. When I say Israel, I should clarify. In those days, the people of God, Israel, had actually divided into two nations. There was the southern nation that was called Judah. They lasted longer than the northern nation called Israel. The ten northern tribes, or Israel, were defeated by the Assyrians. Maybe you've heard of this huge empire that was so vicious and they were the ones who utterly destroyed this northern kingdom of Israel. And Hosea ministered to the northern people during these days of devastation. Hosea spoke the very words of God, helping them understand God's heart in the midst of their national collapse. And the message of Hosea was very meaningful to them, but friends, I'm telling you, it speaks to us every bit as much. And we need to hear God's heart revealed through this great prophet named Hosea. Six weeks, week one, it's called the jealousy of God. You ready? I'm starting in verse two of Hosea one. God giving some uh, shocking instructions to this prophet. God said to Hosea, go marry a promiscuous woman. And have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Hosea, I want you to be married to a promiscuous wife 
so you can experience what I experience. Because this nation has been unfaithful to me, just like your wife will be unfaithful to you. Interesting. So Hosea married Gomer, daughter of Diblium. Friends, uh, Hosea adored Gomer. His love for Gomer will be so evident as this study in the book continues. I, I suspect that Gomer was stunningly beautiful. We will find many men were attracted to her. So imagine Hosea marrying this beauty, so in love, filled with hope and anticipation that his marriage would be extraordinary. Great, that's what every newly married couple hopes for. But it didn't work out that way. The unspeakable pain of adultery became Hosea's lot. At first, their marriage may have been good, but eventually his wife had that faraway look in her eye. She wasn't fully there. And then some nights she'd be out with friends and wouldn't come back till late. And when he was gone on ministry speaking trips, he never had a sense that he knew where she was and what she was doing back home. And eventually those worst suspicions were proven when it became very clear that Hosea had another friend. I'm sorry, Gomer had another friend, a lover, a, a boyfriend that she was now sleeping with. And the pain that this man endured as the love of his life had turned and broke his heart. I imagine that at this point, Hosea was like, God, why, why, why? And he went back to this weird calling from the very beginning. He, he realized, God, you called me to marry Gomer. And you knew all along that she was going to be like this. God said, that's right. Why, God? Here's why, Hosea. You have a unique ministry. I want you to be able to convey my heart and what I'm feeling and what I'm experiencing in a way that no one else can. You see, your broken marriage helps you enter into the pain of God. You will feel what I feel. And you will speak to the people from this place of great understanding of God's heart. And your broken marriage will be like an illustration as you preach the word in your whole life. I can imagine Hosea going, I don't think I like the plan, God. And God said, oh, but it's going to work. It's going to work powerfully today. It's going to work powerfully in the ministry of people in Bolingbrook and Naperville and Wheaton many, many years from now. And so what we discover is that God is conveying his own agony through the experience of Hosea. You say, agony of God? What are you talking about? Well, first of all, it says, like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Their unfaithfulness back then took many forms. One of them was they literally worshipped other gods. They had idols. They had statues of, of Canaanite deities that they bowed down and they gave to other gods what belonged only to the one true God. But it was more than that. They, they, they loved other lovers, other aspects of life and friends in the same way we do. One of the dangers is that we relate to the infidelity of Israel 
when we realize there are times when God's not number one in our lives. When we realize that we are chasing after career or money or people or recreation, you, you name it. Our other lover are simply those things that take the number one spot in our hearts. When you realize that there's been a season where you've just neglected God, forgotten God, deprioritized God, and chase after other loves, you and I have entered into this same guilt. And this passage, and the message of Hosea, conveys that God is emotionally impacted by our, our infidelity. This may be surprising to you. A lot of times people have this vision of God as emotionally unaffected. You know, in fact, Aristotle used to talk about the unmoved mover, that God is unmoved by anything. Nothing can affect him. He's just this stoic personality who says, what, did you, what have you done? Like, I care. It doesn't matter to me. And we discovered that's unbiblical. Our God is emotional. Did you know that? Scripture speaks of God feeling emotional uh, experience, like jealousy. Uh, this shouldn't be a surprise to us. We've been told in Genesis that we are made in God's image. In other words, when we look at our own experiences, so many ways we should know that this is actually a taste of what God experiences. And when we have a covenant marriage relationship that breaks due to infidelity, our pain reflects the very pain in the heart of God. Friends, God is emotionally impacted by your fidelity or lack thereof. Wow! God, I didn't know that. You say, God feels agony? Oh, the worst. He's picking an agony to convey his own heart that is of such extraordinary type. Maybe you've dealt with a spouse who was unfaithful and you know that pain firsthand. Maybe you know someone who dealt with that horrific experience and you saw their tears and heard their cries. I just read in CNN, there was a wife who's married to a famous Hollywood guy and his infidelity was exposed through the Me Too movement. She had no idea. She thought her husband was as faithful as they come. She adored him. She thought their marriage was extraordinary. And as these women started coming forward and describing their encounters with her husband, his serial sleeping around became evident. And she spoke none of it for some time, just burying herself in secret pain. But most recently, a week ago, she spoke up about what it experienced what that experience was like. I read her words now. She said, when I found out, I lost 10 pounds in five days because I couldn't keep food down. For about two days, my head was spinning. I have had moments of rage. I've had moments of confusion. I've had moments of disbelief and moments when I just cry for my children. I am humiliated. I am so broken. I was walking up the stairs the other day and I just stopped. It was like all the air had been punched out of my lungs. Oh my, the pain that this woman describes discovering 
her husband has been unfaithful. That is the pain God experiences when his people reject him. Now, there we're getting a heart or a feeling of the heart of God. Now, as the passage continues, we're going to see God react to this desertion, this adultery by the people of Israel. How God reacts to it is conveyed through the names of Hosea's children. Hosea and Gomer have three kids. And God prophetically spoke to Hosea saying, hey, here's what I want you to name your kids. And just as the marriage of Hosea preaches, so the, kid na- the, of the kids' names preach. There's a message conveyed in each of these names God picks for the kids. So let's take a look, shall we? At first they had a son. Verse 4, God said, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. All right, who is is, uh, Jehu, and what is the massacre at Jezreel? Well, King Jehu, king of Israel, was an evil king, And the massacre at Jezreel was just horrific. He destroyed these people, and just out of evil gloating, he stacked the skulls of those he had killed in a big pile just to, you know, show the world how powerful he was. And God said, you're my king? Now, this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Israel had been rebelling from God and running from God, bowing to foreign deities, forgetting God and his ways altogether for centuries. But this moment is when God just said, you know what, we're done, we're done. And you see the finality here. He said, I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And shortly after God said this, God did this. The Assyrians came in and wiped out the nation and dragged the people away out of the land, the land of God into exile. You'll see I I put the word banished. Get out. We're done. Interestingly, the scholars speculate that these names not only convey the judgment God brings on the people, but they also convey the dynamic of Hosea's marriage with Gomer. There, There was a time when Hosea said, you know what? We're done. Get out. It's over. In fact, the scripture, as it continues, we'll see there were times they would, he would banish her and then he'd take her back, hoping for new fidelity, but his hopes would be dashed by another affair and he'd kick her out again. And this pain of saying, we're done, and sending her away was something that Hosea knew firsthand. And God said, yeah, you know what you just did there? You know how you feel there? That's how I feel. I'm going to do the same thing. Now, be be careful here because when God just says we're done, don't assume this is a knee-jerk reaction in God that he's just shooting from the hip. He's not really thinking about what he's doing, but just responding emotionally, chaotically. Everything God does is right and thoughtful and appropriate. But is there charged emotion in his action? You bet. And when God said Israel, we're done and banished them, into exile. You can bet there was pain in the heart of God due to their infidelity. And that was part of his saying, I'm putting an end to the kingdom of Israel. Okay, there's the first thing God did in his pain. The second, after banished, I call this unloved. Verse 6, 
they have a little girl. And God says, here's what you're to do. Call her Lo Ruhamah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel. Now, it's interesting. I'll no longer show my love. He still feels it deep down. But he's so hurt. He's so angry. He has decided, I'm not showing them any love. Unloved is the name. And you can bet Hosea could relate. Lord, I feel it. I feel it. Deep down, he still loved Gomer, but he was so hurt that he said, you know what? I'm not showing you any love these days. The third child, we read about the name in verse 9. Verse 9, they have another boy, and God says, This one, I want you to call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. You see, I use the word disowned. You know, for so long, God had said, Israel, you're my people. Well, in this moment, he's reversing that. He's saying, you know what? You're not my people. Wow. What's interesting is that you're not my people. It literally means you are not my kin. You are not my offspring. And scholars speculate that it was at this moment, the birth of this third child, that Hosea finally realized what is clearly stated later in the book, and that is his three kids were not his kids. They were the result of pregnancies from these adulterous relationships where all of a sudden the painful truth hit Hosea. Maybe it was the way they looked or their personality. These are not my offspring. And his pain was unreal. And God says, yeah, we can relate, can't we, prophet? Now you know my pain. Friends, you may say, Jeff, this is the worst sermon I've ever heard. I, I, I want it to end. And there is an upside to the downside of God's jealousy. Yes, discovering that we break the heart of God with our unfaithfulness is a terrible thing to discover. But if God's jealousy has an upside, it's this. It reveals the intensity of his love. If God were not jealous, if God were like, you know what, go ahead, you know, and be unfaithful. Go chase after other loves. I don't care. It would show that he doesn't care. But the fact that he is crushed and agonizing over our infidelity has the upside of conveying the intensity of his affection for us. I understand how jealousy reveals love because with my wife and I, our marriage was based on jealousy. How about that, huh? Here's how it worked. So Jen and I were just friends, just friends. Something going on here? Nope, we're just friends. And Jen thought she viewed me as just a friend until her friend, her very good friend, started showing interest in me back in the day. Her good buddy, her best friend, started flirting with me and confessing to Jen that she was falling for me. And uh, as she pursued me, Jen suddenly rose up like a mother bear and was like, no! And Jen felt this awakening of jealousy that made her realize, maybe I feel more about Jeff than just friends. And I saw the jealousy in Jen too, and I'm like, oh, well, that's very interesting. (laughs) Apparently Jen and I had fallen in love with Jen for years before, and I was hiding it very well. But it was this other, this third party in this triangle that made Jen and I both realize, no, this is a, a love thing that we got going, and that's what brought us together. So, friends, the jealous heart of God has this surprising truth that he cares more about you 
longs for you, longs to be your greatest love, longs for your unfaithful devotion more than you had ever dreamed. The breakup, the breakup of the relationship between Israel and God conveys how intense his love is and the reconciliation between Israel and God reveals the intensity of his love. You say reconciliation? Yes. As the passage transitions into the second chapter of Hosea, God prophesies of the reconciliation, that there's going to be a time when at least some of the people return to the Lord, turn from their infidelity, repent of their sin, and pledge loyal love to God again. And the great news about the grace and forgiveness of our God is when they return, God accepts them back in an instant. There's this great verse in chapter 2 of Hosea. I'd like to study it with you now. It's verse 23. It's God describing what he's going to do when they come back with a wholehearted repentance to him. I'll just read it in its entirety, and then we'll go through it phrase by phrase. God says, I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. Friends, do you see the glorious reversal of all of those painful decisions God made in judgment of Israel? All three of them are reversed. Let's start. Remember the first kid's name was Jezreel. God saying, we're done, and he banished them from the land of God. Well, Jezreel, interestingly enough, the the word literally means to plant. And so God goes to that name, and he promises, I will plant her for myself in the land. I will bring her back to be with me. And scholars speculate that some of the Israelites literally were brought back to the land of Israel. Others, maybe it wasn't a physical relocation, but God spiritually brought them back to himself. The point being, though I have banished you, I will take you back and I will plant her here for myself, near me, in my land. God's saying, I want you to be with me again. What's, what's the next one here? Remember this ro or lo ruhama, meaning unloved? God says, I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. God said, I know what I said, but she's come back. And so God says, now I will show my love. I will shower my affection on my beloved once again. And then lastly, remember, lo ami, meaning disowned. God says, I will say to those called not my people, I would say, now you are my people once again. Friends, let me summarize these three statements of God because it's so important you see the love in them because God's saying these to you. If you're his, if, if you've been reconciled to God through what Christ did on the cross, if you're a true Christian and you love the Lord, these are his sentiments to you. The first one is, I want you with me. Have you heard God say that to you? Have you heard God say, I want to be with you. I want us to be together. 
Have you heard God say, I love when we're together, when we share life? That's the heart of God to you. Have you heard God say, I'm going to show you my love? Have you ever heard God say, right now, I want to shower you with my affection. I want you just to bask in my tender love for you. Friends, I hope you've heard God say that because Hosea is making it clear that's his heart to you. If you miss out on that, you're missing out on the greatest of life. How about this one? You are my people. Have you ever heard God look you in the eyes and say, you're mine and I'm yours. We belong to each other. God delighting in calling you his own. Friends, this is the heart of God. Lean into it. Say, God, say those three things to me. Say them again and again until I believe them, until I drink them in. Friends, the tender affection of God revealed through the prophet Hosea may be scandalous, shocking, crazy love as you discover it. You say, what, what does this mean for us? I mean, practically speaking, how does this all affect? Well, let me use this example. I, I have, this is my prayer journal. I, I spend some time every day. You may know we have uh, four priorities at our church. Pursue, connect, serve, reach. The first, pursue him daily. And I do that every day. I pursue my relationship with God by studying a little bit of the Bible. I just read a few verses and write in the margin. I love marking up my Bible. That's God speaking to me through his book, his letter. And then I open up my little book and I write my prayers to him. That's me speaking to him. And I, and I use the prayer journal because it helps me stay focused. I have a wandering mind. Uh, really helps me zero in on conveying my heart to God. I, I write the dates, and I sometimes write what I found in the scriptures, and then I just start praying, sharing my heart, my requests, my love to God. Now, I have to warn you, there's a downside to using a prayer journal. And that's when you open it up and you look when the last entry was, and you're like, hey, hey, hey has it been that long? It's happened to me more times than I care to admit. And I realize that a season has gone by where I have neglected the Lord, either, I mean, at least formally, as far as this time together of writing out the prayers. And, and when you, and I'm sure you've had this experience too, when you realize there's been a season of neglect where you've let other things in life preoccupy you and draw you away from prioritizing God, when you realize, man, it's been a long time since we've connected in a meaningful way, here's a question for you. How do you imagine God responding to that moment? How does God emotionally respond to our neglect, to our unfaithfulness? You know, some people assume he's indifferent. He doesn't care about whether or not I spend time talking to him. Hosea would say, you are so wrong. God is not indifferent. Others would say, I bet God's mad. I bet God's kind of like this shaming father who's like, bad Christian, bad, bad, bad Christian. I, I set up hoops for you to jump through, pray, and you're not jumping through the hoops, bad, bad. Hosea would say, no, 
He ain't that either. Hosea would say, God's hurt. Hurt. He's brokenhearted. He adores you. He yearns to be your first love. And in this season, at least, you've shown that he's not at this moment. And it breaks the heart of God. Friends, as I come to those seasons where I realize, boy, I'm neglecting the Lord, I imagine his tears. And I lean into his jealousy. I repent and say, God, I don't want to break your heart. I want to make your day. If, if I have the capacity to influence your emotional states, I, I want to bring joy, pleasure to your life and not brokenness. And so I repent. So this, the downside of God's jealousy has very, been very helpful in inspiring me to keep him number one in my life because I don't want to break his heart. But on the upside, when you do open your prayer journal and you put the dates and you say, hey, Lord, let's spend some time together, Hosea helps us understand his emotional response to our choosing to pursue him daily. Some, some imagine God saying, oh, you want to spend time with me? Oh, boy. You again? Oh, boy. Or some imagine God to be indifferent, like, like I care. Friends, God has the joy of a lover when you come to him. Like young lovers going out on Friday night, hitting the town on a big date, that coming alive with excitement to be together, that's God's joy. He loves relating to us. And so when you say, Lord, I'd like to meet with you, you must imagine God saying, yes, let's meet, let's talk, let's share time. And the more we grow in our relationship with him, the more joy it brings to us and joy it brings to him because God adores you. Wow. Friends, I pray that this growing window into God's heart and you begin to discover, well, Lord, I kind of viewed you as the letter writer, cookie giver, and now, whoa, whoa, there's, there's love going on there. There's dreams of deep relationship. I guess I just never knew. Well, now you know. How will you respond? My father-in-law responded and saying, Mary, I love you too. And a beautiful relationship began. Well, God's revealed his heart, and it's more than he ever thought. My prayer is that each of us will say, Lord, I want to love you with a fidelity that makes your heart soar. I want you to be my first thought in the morning and my last thought at night. I want to rejoice in the glorious things you have made in this world and enjoy life deeply, giving you thanks for being the giver of all good gifts. I want to walk with you and Sense you leading me through my day. I want to lean on you and experience your power helping me face each moment. I want to be used by you as your secret agent to be of encouragement and blessing to others. I want each day for us to be on adventure together. This is the dream of God. This is the honor afforded us through the great invitation that Jesus Christ has come to bring each person. Would you pray with me, friends? Lord, we want to talk with you. 
Let's start with repentance. God, we have each broken your heart without exception. We have chased after other lovers, and we have made you jealous. And we are sorry. You deserve more. You deserve all, God. You deserve the best of our love. And so please forgive us. We are truly sorry for keeping from you what is rightly yours, our heart. And now, Lord, would you help us grow? Would you help us fall crazy in love with you? God, would your beauty and your presence and your love be our growing obsession, each of us? And would each day in our lives be sweeter and more beautiful because of your growing presence in our lives, our awareness of your presence in our lives? Please, God, as we continue this series on Hosea, I pray that each of us would experience a flourishing relationship, a basking in your love beyond anything we've ever enjoyed before. It's our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.